Well, a very happy Sabbath to each one of you. And it's very good to be here at Wachita Hills. We've certainly been enjoying our time here. It's nice to have Joella and my girls here this morning. They were ready for bed last night, but they're having a good time here as well. And I know Joella enjoys being back at her alma mater where she was here for several years. Before we get into our message for this morning, I'd like to have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we can be here to worship you. And I just pray that you would speak now, that the words that I speak would not be my own, but that you would speak through me and that we would have a deeper appreciation for the testimony of Jesus Christ and the remnant church. And that by the end of this message, if there are any that are doubting, I pray that all would be convinced that truly there is a God in Israel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The title for our message this morning is, There is a God in Israel. And I certainly believe with all of my heart, with the evidence that we can find from inspiration, that God has clearly identified himself as the leader of the movement that we are part of, that we as Seventh-day Adventists are part of a movement and that God is the leader of. And what a privilege we have to be Seventh-day Adventists at this time of Earth's history. And as we look at our scripture reading, Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, the closing verse of the chapter in the book of Revelation that identifies this great controversy that is going on between Christ and Satan. We read, and the dragon was wroth or enraged with a woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, if you have any doubt as to what kind of wrath the dragon has towards this woman, just remember that at the beginning of the chapter when this woman had a child and she was pained to be delivered, the dragon was right there trying to destroy that child, which was Christ. And if you think about it in a simple term, can you imagine the, the degree of wickedness or evil if... A woman, a godly woman, was about to give birth to a baby and there was someone so sinister or so evil that they were trying to kill that baby as soon as it was born. That's the degree to, to how evil the devil is. And that is the degree to how much wrath he has towards God's end-time church. Make no mistake, the dragon is wroth with God's end-time church. And he has gone to make war with the remnant of her seed, the remnant of the seed of that woman, the woman who gave birth to Christ, who gave birth to the Christian church, who gave birth to a church that had to flee into the wilderness where she was persecuted for 1,260 years. And then at the end of time, before Jesus comes back, God has raised up a movement that would finish off the work that God raised up through Christ when he was here on this earth. And so the dragon is enraged with this woman. 
And there are two key identifying characteristics that I'm going to mention this morning. And it is these two key identifying characteristics that show us why the dragon is wroth with a woman, why he is enraged with the church. And it is because this woman, as Scripture says, keeps the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus Christ. Friends, we are living in a great controversy. And we are part of God's remnant church, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. There is no other church on the face of the earth that professes to keep all ten commandments. And in that combination, have the testimony of Jesus. We keep the seventh-day Sabbath. And we also have the testimony of Jesus. And I have found it fascinating in my brief 38 years, for some of you that may be a long time, for some of you that may seem not, like not so long, but in my 38 years I've been around long enough in enough places in various parts of the world that wherever I go, and I'm sure many of you can identify with this, that wherever I go, the two things within the remnant church, within the Adventist church, that receive the most resistance are the concepts of obedience and the spirit of prophecy everywhere I go. You could be in Nebraska, Maine, California, anywhere in the world, the Caribbean, Europe, Australia, wherever it may be, and you are going to meet resistance to the concept of obedience by grace through faith. People will still be resistant to that idea, and you meet resistance to the use and the belief of the testimony of Jesus Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy. Just remember that we are in a great controversy war between Christ and Satan. And God has raised up a church, a woman, who keeps the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus Christ. And Satan is going after whoever will uplift the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Obedience is under attack in the church. You may hear common sayings of like, well, nobody's perfect and we really can't obey anyway, can we? Those are common things that are often said. Let me read to you a couple of verses from Scripture. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, which says, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Friends, you better, be, you better watch out. If you are part of any movement or of any church, anywhere you may be, that says we cannot keep the commandments of God, Scripture says, oh, I know God, I'm a Christian, I'm following him, but you're not keeping the commandments. The Scripture says that you are a liar and the truth is not in you. I do not want to be a liar, amen? And that tells me that those who say that they keep God's command or that they don't keep his commandments, but they say that they know him, they are being used by the devil as part of his end time attack against the remnant church. Now, this may not be popular, but friends, we are living in a time where we have to get past the point of being afraid of teaching unpopular things from the pulpit. 
because we are living in a time where Jesus is coming soon and we need to give a clear thus saith the Lord that will prepare hearts and minds for what is soon coming upon this world. Now is not the time for dumbing down the message, making people feel comfortable in a lukewarm Laodicean state. Friends, a shaking is coming. God is looking for messengers to rise up who will shake people out of their comfortable lukewarm condition and realize that now is the time to stand on the Lord's side. And obedience is under attack in the church. Jesus also says in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, if Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments, why then would we as humans say we can't keep them? Because Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. As we are told in inspiration, all of his biddings are enablings. Praise God that God has given us grace that we can obey him. I'm tired of a gospel that says I'm going to continue to live in a life of disobedience and discouragement and frustration and unhappiness, but at least God covers me while I'm living in such a life of discouragement, disobedience, frustration, and anger. Is that the kind of gospel you want to be living under? Or do you want a gospel where God says that we can be more than conquerors through him who loved us and that by his grace we can keep his commandments? One of the identifying characteristics of God's last day people who will be ready for Jesus to come is that they will keep the commandments of God. When we look at the book of Revelation, interestingly, in Revelation eleven nineteen. we see in Revelation eleven nineteen where it says the temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament now those of us who study scripture understand that in the part of the temple of god where the ark of the testament is seen we understand and you can see this in hebrews 9 4 and also in the old testament that within the ark of the testament was contained the two tables of the covenant or the law of god And so the most holy place is being opened where the law of God is being revealed again and God is raising up a movement who remembers his law, who remembers his Sabbath, and it's this remnant church that brings back a focus to the law of God that the devil is going after. And in fact, this law of God is the law that God writes into our hearts in the new covenant in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, Hebrews 10, verse 16. You also see this in the book of Jeremiah. So this remnant church that the devil is attacking is the church of the new covenant. And I might also add in Romans chapter 7, verse 12, that God's law is described as being holy, just, and good, which is a transcript of Christ's character. So the remnant is designed to be a transcript of the character of Jesus. No wonder the devil is so enraged. Now it just so happens that Jesus works through the testimony of Jesus Christ to develop that transcript of his character. Thus the Ten Commandments and the testimony of Jesus are under attack. 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now let me show you, and I haven't taken the time to do this. I didn't mention this last night. When you look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, we see that the, t- that the remnant keeps the commandments of God and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, there are some in higher academic circles that are now saying that the testimony of Jesus 
in Revelation 12, 17 is the testimony of how Jesus works in my life. That's an, an idea that has started to gain traction in certain circles of Adventism. But I'm here to tell you today that I do not believe that for a minute. The testimony of Jesus is far deeper than that. Revelation 19.10, which is a familiar passage, <clears throat> which develops this idea a little bit further. Revelation 19.10, we read, And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Here John the Revelator is about to fall down and worship at the feet of an angel, and the angel says, Don't worship me, I am of your fellow servants who have the testimony of Jesus. And if you want to know what the testimony of Jesus is, it is the spirit of prophecy. Now, let me make it even clearer in Revelation 12. The Bible makes it clear. Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9, we see a very similar scene. Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9, we read, And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. This is very similar to Revelation 19.10. Continuing on, in verse 9. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of, uh, of thy brethren, who? The prophets. And of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. So in Revelation 19.10, he says, I am of thy fellow brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. But in Revelation 22.9, he says, I am of thy fellow brethren, the prophets. So the testimony of Jesus is much more than just about the testimony of what Jesus is doing in your life. It is the spirit of prophecy. It is the prophetic gift. And I am here to tell you, to remind you today, that in God's last day church, we are not simply a people who upholds the commandments of God. We are a people that God has blessed with a prophetic gift. God has given a prophetic gift to his last day church and it would only make sense that he would do so. When you look throughout scripture, when there are major prophecies in scripture, when you look at the flood, you may know that Methuselah, his name means that when I die, it shall come. And sure enough, in the year that Methuselah died, the flood came. So there's a prophecy pointing to the coming of a flood, but then God raised up a prophet to be a messenger to prepare the world for the coming of that flood, and that prophet was Noah. There are other examples in scripture as well. God told Abraham that his descendants would be in Egypt for 400 years. At the end of those 400 years, God raised up a prophet named Moses. When you look at the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, there is a 70-week prophecy of 490 years, and God raised up the prophet Daniel to identify that the Messiah would surely come after the restoring and building of Jerusalem 490 years, or the, the decree to restore and build Jerusalem 490 years. At the end of that period of time, God raised up another prophet, John the Baptist, who was who came to prepare the way of the Lord. But the longest prophecy in Scripture, and by the way, there are some who say that there's another prophecy that's longer. Don't believe them. 2,300 days is the longest prophecy in Scripture. At the beginning of the 2,300-day prophecy, God raised up a prophet, Daniel, 
who identified this 2,300-year prophecy. And it would only make sense because at the end of the 2,300 days, God is going to be raising up a movement to prepare the people for the coming of Jesus the second time. He had a prophet raised up at the end of the 490 years to prepare God's people for the coming of the Messiah the first time. Wouldn't you believe that God would raise up a prophet again before the second coming of the Messiah? And he surely did. And we have a messenger that God raised up. I talked about it last night, but we believe that in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we believe that God gave the prophetic gift through the writings and the visions of Ellen White as the testimony of Jesus to his last day church to help prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. Her writings are a sign that the testimony of Jesus is in God's last day church. And it is no surprise that not only is obedience under attack in the remnant church, but so are the writings of the testimony of Jesus Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy. We are told by Ellen White herself in Selective Messages, Volume 1, page 48, the very last deception of Satan will be to make of none effect the testimony of the spirit of God. Now, in the history of Adventism, there's been some dark history, certainly. We've heard of stories of pastors who've had book-burning parties out in the parking lot of the church where they've burned all the red books. And there's been pretty sad stories of that nature. But realize, Satan isn't going to work in such a direct way in most cases when he makes attack against God's remnant church, against the testimony of Jesus. He is going to be much more subtle than that. He is going to work as a serpent, a subtle serpent, just as he did with Eve in the Garden of Eden, where he says to Eve, Yea, hath God said? Did God really say? Does God really mean that? And when you talk about making the writings of the testimony of Jesus of none effect, all you have to do is see the attitude that is often seen towards the writings of Ellen White. Well, her writings were her, for her day, but not for ours. She didn't really understand when she was talking about bicycles or the theater or whatever it may be, and I've heard it all, trust me. The last deception will be to make her writings of none effect. And one of the ways you can make her writings of none effect as well is to simply not even read them. To have them on your shelf, but, but to let them go by unread. And so the dragon is wroth with a woman. Friends, we are in a crisis in Adventism today. When you look at the church around us, and I hate to say this, but this is the reality, we really do have two versions of Adventism under one administrative structure. And it all comes down to how we relate to inspiration. Do we take the Bible as it reads, and do we accept the writings of the testimony of Jesus in plain English for what they say, or do we follow a model of higher criticism where we're open to doubt about what the Bible and the writings of Ellen White really say? I want to read to you a few statements that Ellen White said about 
even the role of obedience and of the commandments of God as it relates to the remnant church. This is in Heavenly Places, page 146, a very powerful and potent statement as it relates to obedience. Some of you probably know the statement well. Everyone who by faith obeys God's commandments will reach the condition of sinlessness in which Adam lived before his transgression. That's a pretty straightforward, powerful statement, is it not? The dragon was wroth with a woman, went to make war with a remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The testimony of Jesus is everyone who by faith obeys the commandments will reach the condition of sinlessness in which Adam lived before his transgression. Yet the dragon says, did God really say you can obey? Can you really keep the commandments? No, but he's perfect. We're all just going to keep sinning till Jesus comes. That's the voice of the dragon, friends. By the grace of God, I want to claim God's promises that he can keep me from the attacks of Satan. Yeah, Ellen White has a good balancing statement in Bible Echo, December 1, 1892. The closer you come to Jesus, the more faulty you will appear in your own eyes, for your vision will be clearer and your imperfections will be seen in distinct contrast with his perfect character. Be not discouraged. This is an evidence that Satan's delusions are losing their power, that the vivifying influence of the Spirit of God is arousing you, and that your indifference and ignorance are passing away. So guess what, friends? If you are noticing that, wow, look at the ugliness of my character compared to Jesus, that means you're getting closer to where God wants you to be. Don't be discouraged by that. Don't go around and say, wow, I finally arrived. I'm pretty good now. You should be like me. Oh boy, if you say that, you've fallen flat on your face. But the reality is, is that God will perfect a people. He will make them into the image of his son. And the Bible and the spirit of prophecy identify this for us. <clears throat> you know, as we live in this time, as we live in 2016, as we see what's happening in the world around us, this is shaping up to be perhaps one of the most interesting presidential elections of my lifetime. Never seen anything quite like it. When we look at what just happened this last fall, when we look at what happened with the United States Supreme Court ruling about marriage, friends, we're not living in ordinary times. This is not business as usual. Oh, there's some more interesting news. And you even hear, I see people on Facebook after the Supreme Court ruling and after the Pope came to America, people were saying, I bet there's some Adventists that are going to say these are signs of Jesus coming again. And they've been saying this for years now. And it made me wonder, yeah, you sound like the people that mocked Noah when he preached about the coming of the flood. You know, Noah preached for 120 years that Jesus would come. And I bet there were some people about 80, 90, or 100 years into his message that said, no, why don't you start preaching about something else? Don't you have something better to talk about than the coming of a flood? And there are people that are saying that to us today as Seventh-day Adventists. Why do you always talk about the soon coming of Jesus? Why do you have to talk about the coming of Jesus in the clouds of heaven? Why are you so worried about last day events? Well, friends, that's because the message God has given to us as a church, as a people to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus. And look, if you really love Jesus, shouldn't you be happy about the news of his coming? That sounds like a good thing to me if we could be in heaven and not on earth. 
Ellen White has given us very clear instruction about what is coming upon this world. This is a familiar statement in Great Controversy, page 588. Through the two great errors, the immortality of the soul and Sunday sacredness, Satan will bring the people under his deceptions. While the former lays the foundation of spiritualism, the latter creates a bond of sympathy with Rome. The Protestants of the United States will be foremost in stretching their hands across the gulf to grasp the hand of spiritualism. They will reach over the abyss to clasp hands with the Roman power, and under the influence of this threefold union, this country will follow in the steps of Rome and trampling on the rights of conscience. That's Great Controversy 588. And it was amazing to me that even the Adventist candidate running for president said on his Twitter page, I was delighted to hear the Pope's message of faith and love in our nation's capital today. Friends, now is the time for us to be hanging on closely to Jesus and to our understanding of the message that he has sent to us in these last days. I'm going to read to you a few interesting statements, and then I'm going to tell you a story um, about Ellen White and her prophetic message that I believe will ground you and encourage you in, your, in our belief in, in her as a prophet. <clears throat> I read the statement earlier. I'm going to read it again. Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 48. The very last deception of Satan will be to make of none effect the testimony of the Spirit of God. Where there is no vision, the people perish. He's quoting Proverbs 29:18. Satan will work ingeniously in different ways and through different agencies to unsettle the confidence of God's remnant people in the true testimony. Notice, notice he's going to work not in just one way. He's going to work ingeniously in different ways and through different agencies to unsettle the confidence of God's remnant people in the true testimony. Friends, don't let that that happened to you. And this is one paragraph later, but it was written in letter 40, 1890. <clears throat> Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 48. There will be a hatred kindled against the testimonies which is satanic. The workings of Satan will be to unsettle the faith of the churches in them. For this reason, Satan cannot have so clear a track to bring in his deceptions and bind up souls in his delusions if the warnings and reproofs and counsels of the Spirit of God are heeded. Satan hates the testimonies. And unfortunately, that hatred that he has kindled is sometimes found in, among Seventh-day Adventists. Friends, if you look at the history of the prophets, it's not often a pretty picture. You realize that Isaiah was sawn asunder, as Hebrews 11 says. Jeremiah was thrown in a pit. John the Baptist was beheaded. And sadly, I hate to say it, I have seen many Seventh-day Adventists who wish they could do the same thing to Ellen White. Don't be one of them. Ellen White is connected to Jesus. Her writings are the testimony of Jesus. When you go after her, you are not going after her. You are going after Jesus who gave her the messages. Selected Messages, Volume 3, page 84. One thing is certain. Those Seventh-day Adventists who take their stand under Satan's banner will first give up their faith in the warnings and reproofs contained in the testimonies of God's Spirit. And I have to say it, um, of when I look at a number of my friends and people that I've known throughout the years who have left the Seventh-day Adventist Church, almost every single one of them first gave up their belief that God had spoken through Ellen White as a prophet. 
And before too long, they started doubting other things. And that's what this next statement says in Testimonies, Volume 4, page 211. It is Satan's plan to weaken the faith of God's people in the testimonies. Next follows skepticism in regard to the vital points of our faith, the pillars of our position, then doubt as to the Holy Scriptures, and then the downward march to perdition. When the testimonies which were once believed are doubted and given up, Satan knows the deceived ones will not stop at this, and he redoubles his efforts till he launches them into open rebellion, which becomes incurable and ends in destruction. If any of you today are tempted to doubt, just realize where that path is going to lead you. And I encourage you, stay on the path, keep your eyes on Jesus, and listen to his testimony. Last statement I'm going to read. Selected Messages, Volume 3, page 83. Men may get up scheme after scheme, and the enemy will seek to seduce souls from the truth. But all who believe that the Lord has spoken through Sister White and has given her a message will be safe from the many delusions that will come in these last days. All who believe that the Lord has spoken through Sister White and has given her a message will be safe from the many delusions that will come in these last days. Amen. Now, I'm going to read to you, or I'm going to tell you, what I consider to be one of the more powerful stories that identifies the prophetic gift of Ellen White. This is the story of the Salamanca vision. How many of you have heard this story? Salamanca, a number of you have. Those of you who are academy and college students, I'm telling it especially for you, um, as you're becoming more aware of the, the powerful influence of the writings of Ellen White in the church. Those of you who are a bit older, you've heard the story, but it never hurts to hear a good story again. This is one of my favorite stories. And this is told by Arthur White, Ellen White's grandson. And I'm just summarizing some of the key points of the story, and I'll read at certain points. It was in the year of 1890. It was in the fall of 1890. And in the Atlantic region, this was before they had union conferences, um, Ellen White was asked by the leaders of the church to come for a, a number of months to speak in first South Lancaster, Massachusetts, and then Salamanca, New York, and then down into Virginia. And the people were eager to hear her. And so she spoke in South Lancaster in late October, and then after that she traveled over to Salamanca. And while she traveled to Salamanca, New York, on the train, she caught a cold, and she made comment to her secretary that at her age, at that point in her life, she realized that it would no longer be wise for her to travel in cold weather at her age anymore, that it was too hard on her. So she got very sick, but here she is, the prophet of the Lord, and she has been scheduled to speak three different times over a weekend, Sabbath afternoon, then she was going to speak again on Sunday and again on Monday. And every time before she spoke, she didn't feel like she would be able to get up. But the Lord always strengthened her. She was determined to speak to the people. And she got up and spoke as promised. And the people were always greatly blessed by what she had to say. And by the last time she spoke, she was feeling especially sick. But she was able to get up and speak for about 45 minutes. And she said in her journal afterwards, I do not know what I, upon what I spoke. I do not know one word I uttered. I was too sick or too ill. But the people 
told her that they said, Sister White, the Lord has given you a message for us this day. So the Lord was using her. But you have to imagine, you know, even though she's a prophet of the Lord, she's a human being. And to be so sick and to be trying to speak, and she has several more meetings and travel ahead of her, she, had, she did not feel well. And um, her grandson remarks that she was feeling discouraged. She returned to the house that she was staying at. And she began to pour out her soul to God, pleading for strength, for mercy, and for health. As she poured out her soul, she entered into vision. God gave her a vision. This was around November 3 of 1890. The room was filled with light. She went off into vision. And the Lord showed her some things that were happening in Battle Creek. Now, I might add that when she came out of vision, she was completely healed of the sickness that she was suffering from. And it is commented upon that she went down through Pennsylvania and into Virginia, that she was feeling well enough that she was able to go to the, the Luray cavern, Caverns, um, and she was feeling much better. So the Lord had healed her of this illness that she had been suffering with, but she had also received this significant vision. And it's very interesting that right after she received the vision, she told the brethren that were with her, I want to tell you about the vision that was given to me last night. It had to do with important matters. And the vision I seemed to be in Battle Creek, and I was taken to the Review and Herald, and the angel messenger bade me follow me. But then when she tried to tell the story, she couldn't remember. The scene departed from her. This happened two different times. It was as if she was Nebuchadnezzar and couldn't recall the dream that had come. But she went on with her travel. But then she was able to remember some of the basic details. And she wrote down in her journal the details of that vision, of what she could remember. And she continued on. And the meetings that she traveled to were finished. And shortly after that, it was time for the 1891 General Conference session in Battle Creek. During that week, or during the time of the General Conference, she was speaking every morning at 5.30. You know, sometimes people complain. I remember the first GYC, they had their morning devotionals the first two years at 6 in the morning. Um, then they moved it to 7, and then they've switched it so that... Now it's 7.30 and breakfast is before that. But boy, back in the good old days, the General Conference Brethren had morning devotionals at 5.30 in the morning and they were all there and Ellen White spoke. So we're a little bit soft compared to the, to the good old days. Um, I know I am. I'm not a 5.30 morning devotional person. But I, if Ellen White was speaking, I'd be there, trust me. So she spoke all week. And then she was asked to give the Sabbath morning message. And in this message, she was speaking before 4,000 of the believers, of the workers and brethren um, in Battle Creek at the tabernacle. And she spoke for a good hour. And in the message, she felt impressed to relay the vision that she had received in Salamanca just a few months earlier, maybe four months earlier. And she... You know, 4,000 people were there, so everybody noticed what she was saying. And so she says, while at Salamanca, matters of importance were revealed to me. In a vision of the night, I seemed to be here in Battle Creek, and the angel messenger bade me follow me. She hesitated. The scene was gone. She could not call it to mind. She continued to speak of how we must hold the distinctive features of our faith prominently in the front. 
Then she said, she comes back to you, I must tell you the vision which was given to me at Salamanca. For in that vision, important matters were revealed to me. In the vision I seemed to be in Battle Creek, I was taken to the Review and Herald office, and the angel messenger bade me, follow me. Again she faltered. It was gone from her. She went on with her sermon, and a third time that afternoon, she attempted to tell that vision, and again she was not allowed to tell it. But she said, of this I shall have more to say later. She rounded out her sermon in about an hour time, an hour's time. She closed it nicely and the meeting was, was finished. All had noticed that she was unable to call the vision to mind. And they thought that was strange that Ellen White couldn't recall exactly this vision. And three different times she couldn't remember it. Just as when she tried to tell the brethren the day after the vision and she couldn't remember. Now she had written a few details down. After the message, the general conference president said, Sister White, will you speak again for us tomorrow morning at 5.30? She said, no, I've borne my testimony. I've spoken all week. I'm going to get some rest. She planned on sleeping in after giving what she believed was the testimony that she needed to give. That night, after the close of the conference session, a small group of men met in one of the offices in the Review and Herald building. At that meeting were representatives of the Pacific Press who published the American Sentinel, and there were present also the representatives of the Religious Liberty Association. They met to discuss and settle a very vexing question, the editorial policy of the American Sentinel. Someone locked the door, proposing that those doors would not be unlocked until the question was settled. 10 o'clock passed, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock struck, and the men were still there. 1 o'clock, and they had reached no decision. 2 o'clock, and the doors were still locked, and the men were hard at it. A little before 3 o'clock on Sunday morning, the meeting ended in a deadlock, with the assertion on the part of the religious liberty men that unless the Pacific press would accede to their demands and drop the term Seventh-day Adventist and the Sabbath, from the columns of that paper, they would no longer use it as the organ of the Religious Liberty Association. That meant killing the paper. They unlocked the door, and the men went to their rooms, and they went to bed and went to sleep. Here you have a group of men who are trying to lower the standard and the distinctiveness of Adventism. We don't want to, when we put out Religious Liberty magazines, let's not identify ourselves as Seventh-day Adventists. Let's not connect it to the Sabbath. We'll have more influence with the world if they don't know that we're Seventh-day Adventists and that we believe in the Sabbath. And so they had this deadlock meeting that went till three in the morning. But God, who never slumbers or sleeps, sent his angel messenger to Ellen White's room at three o'clock that morning. She was aroused from her sleep and instructed that she must go into the workers' meeting at half past five, and there she must present what was shown to her at Salamanca. So she dressed quickly. This was unplanned. She had planned to sleep in. She didn't know why exactly God wanted her to present this vision from Salamanca, but God said, this is the time now for you to, permit, to present the Salamanca brethren the Salamanca vision to the brethren. So she comes into the tabernacle. The general conference president was speaking. Sister White, he said, we are happy to see you. Do you have a message for us? Indeed I do, she said, and stepped to the front. Then she began right where she left off the day before. She told them that at 3 o'clock that morning she had been aroused from her sleep and instructed to go to the workers' meeting at half past 5 and there present what had been shown to her at Salamanca, New York. Now notice what she says. In this vision, she said, I seem to be in Battle Creek. 
I was taken to the Review and Herald office, and the angel messenger bade me follow me. I was taken to a room where a group of men were earnestly discussing a matter. Now this time she doesn't forget what she saw. Now she remembers very clearly this vision. There was a zeal manifest, but not according to knowledge. She told of how they were discussing the editorial policy of the American Sentinel, and she said, I saw one of the men take a copy of the Sentinel, hold it high over his head, and say, unless these articles on the Sabbath and the second, come out of this, second advent come out of this paper, we can no longer use it as the organ of the Religious Liberty Association. Ellen White spoke for an hour describing the meeting which had been shown to her in vision months before. Now notice, before she couldn't even remember the details, the scene would pass from her mind. But once the Lord gave it back to her, she spoke for an hour describing the details of that meeting. And then she gave counsel based upon that revelation. Then she sat down. Now the president of the general conference didn't know what to make of it because he had never heard of any such meeting. He hadn't been in the meeting. However, those in the room didn't have to wait long to find out the significance of what had just happened. So a man stood in the back of the room and he began to speak. I was in that meeting last night. Last night, Sister White remarked. Last night? I thought that meeting took place months ago when it was shown to me in vision. Ellen White did not know when she presented Two and a half hours later, after the, after the men went to bed, they went till 3 in the morning. They go to bed. They're back there by 5.30. That's a short night. Ellen White is awakened by God as soon as that meeting ended and says, you're going to go speak to the brethren. And she doesn't know that this meeting that had just ended was what she had been shown months before. And that's now what God wants her to tell to the brethren. And she was just as surprised as everyone. She thought that the vision she had seen had taken place months before. And that is why God would not let her call to mind what she had seen until the message needed to be heard. And then he goes on to say, I was in that meeting last night, and I am the man who made the remarks about the articles in the paper holding it high over my head. I am sorry to say that I was on the wrong side, but I take this opportunity to place myself on the right side. He sat down. Another man stood to speak. It was the president of the Religious Liberty Association. Now note his words. He says, I was in that meeting last night after the close of the conference. Some of us met in my room in the review office where we locked ourselves in and there took up and discussed the questions and the matter that has been presented to us this morning. We remained in that room until three o'clock this morning. Now notice this. If I should begin to, to give a description of what took place and the personal attitude of those in the room, I could not give it as exactly and as correctly as it has been given by Sister White. And she was given that vision four months before that meeting took place. So it's obvious why God allowed her to not remember the details until the time was appropriate. <clears throat> and she was able to give this vision at, and to relate this vision at just the time so that the brethren would not lower the standard and take the distinctives away from our name and of our message so that the work would go forward the way that God would have it. You know, we're so much like people in 1891 by the 1891 General Conference. If Ellen White had given that, that vision before the meeting took place, people would have said, well, that doesn't apply to today. We're living in a different day now. That, uh, that council applied years ago, but it doesn't fit now. 
but God in his own time and in his own way made it clear that it was his work. He was guiding, he was guarding, he had his hand upon the wheel. And you know, Ellen White tells us, and this is one of my favorite statements and it's the basis for the title of our message today, today, volume 9 of the Testimonies, page 92. God has often permitted matters to come to a crisis that his interference might become marked. Then he has made it manifest that there is a God in Israel. Friends, I believe with every fiber of my being that there is a God in Israel still today. Amen. That there is a God in Israel and that the Lord has spoken through Sister White and through her writings to make it as clear as possible to every single one of us that He is the God of Israel. That we are the Israel of of God today, that God has raised up this movement to be the remnant church of Bible prophecy who keep through faith the commandments of God and believe that the writings of Ellen White are the testimony of Jesus Christ as the spirit of prophecy. And friends, now is not the time in earth's history to be doubting the testimony of Jesus. Now is not the time to be doubting that God can give us the gift of obedience, that to doubt that we can be obedient by faith. Now is the time to be surrendering our lives completely to the God of Israel who has spoken to us through his last day prophet to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. Friends, I don't know where you may be in life. I don't know what your struggles may be. Some of you may be going through seasons of discouragement. You don't know what you're going to be doing next in life. What am, I, what am I going to do when I graduate from here? What is my work going to be? Where is God going to open the door for me? Some of you may be doubting the, the words of inspiration as you read the writings of Ellen White. You wonder, can we really still follow such counsel today? Some of you may have other various struggles and you're wondering if Ellen White really can be trusted. But I'm here to tell you again today, believe in his prophets, so shall you prosper. Believe in his prophets, so shall you be established. And if you, by faith, choose to accept the testimony of Jesus and to know that God who spoke through a woman with a third grade education, but who could outdo most of us with her literary work, who spoke to her through a vision four months before an event took place so that when she described that event, she was able to give a more accurate description than those who were in the meeting themselves. You know that we have a God in Israel. You know that God has spoken through Sister White and that if we by faith accept her messages, we will be safe from the many delusions that will come in these last days. Friends, we are living in troubling times. When I look around us, I see so many people who have thrown out the counsel, who've thrown out the instruction, and somehow people think that they can just disregard all of this light that God has sent to his church, and somehow will just skate through into the heavenly gates. But friends, I'm telling you that God in his great love to us has sent her as a messenger to us so that we would not be deceived. And I want now for us to turn to our closing hymn. And during this closing hymn, I'm going to make an appeal 
before the third verse. So I'd invite the pianist to come up and start playing this music. We're going to all stand and sing this hymn. And I picked this song for a very special reason. This song is O Shepherd Divine, the one who loves us. And when we get to the third verse, before the third verse, I'm going to make an, an appeal. When you look at the third verse, it says, O Shepherd Divine, I know thou art mine. I hear thee say, follow thou me. Thy message today illumines my way, the spirit of prophecy. Are you allowing that message today to illumine your way? Or are you allowing clouds of doubt, of darkness and skepticism to cloud the clear way before you? Friends, the Lord has spoken through Sister White. There is a God in Israel, and if you will believe in him, if you keep your eyes on Jesus and read the instruction that he has given to us, you will follow him all the way on that pathway to the kingdom of heaven. So I would invite you all now to stand at this time as we sing our closing hymn, hymn wonder, number 192, O Shepherd Divine. Amen. And praise God for those of you who have come forward and for each one of us, we want the spirit of prophecy, that divine message to illumine our way. We want to be part of that one fold. Amen. I would invite you now as far as possible to kneel for prayer as we close our message today. Father in heaven, I want to say a special prayer for those who came forward. I thank you for their commitment and for their desire to have the spirit of prophecy illumine their way. You are the shepherd divine. We're so thankful for your love to each one of us, that you were willing to die for us, and that you were coming back for us, and in your love for us, to illumine our way, you have sent us your testimony through the spirit of prophecy. And for those who came forward, maybe they don't know the way forward for their future, or, and they want more guidance from the spirit of prophecy, whatever it may be, I just pray that you would hear their cry, their prayer, and we know that you will. They've come forward in faith, and we know that you are going to lead them and guide them in a special way. And I pray for all of us here today that we would strengthen our commitment to the writings of the testimony of Jesus, that they would illumine our way, and that we would have a clear confidence that we would know with every fiber of our being that there is a God in Israel and that he has spoken through Sister White and that if we by faith will read the Bible and that we, that we will read her writings and follow your instruction, that we will be safe from the many delusions that, will, that are coming upon this church even now. So be with us going forward. We thank you for this time we have this week and continue to pour out your spirit upon us and give us special blessings, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, 
please visit www.audioverse.org.